Welcome to the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Monday, August 16th. We begin with a look at the dire situation Alberta's ag producers are facing this year due to the devastatingly dry weather we've been experiencing. We catch up with Jason Hale, Vice Chair of Alberta Beef Producers, for an update and get his thoughts on if government financial support will be enough to get producers through this rough ride. Next, we get the latest on the continuing saga surrounding coal mining operations in southern Alberta's eastern slopes. We speak with High River Mayor Craig Snodgrass about a major report he and his council filed last week to the Public Consultation Committee on Coal Policy. It's great news for stargazers in Waterton and Glacier National Parks as the region has received official certification as an international dark sky park. We find out what the designation means and how it will benefit tourism in the area. And finally, this week on Motivational Monday, we hear the story of a Calgary entrepreneur whose life was changed by fitness, who now uses her motivation to help others make healthy changes. Well, both the provincial and federal governments have already handed out checks to Alberta ranchers struggling this year thanks to the drought. But producers are going to need more to survive through the fall and winter. However, with everything on hold thanks to the upcoming election, will that help still be on the way? With details, we're joined by Jason Hale, Vice Chair of Alberta Beef Producers, also a rancher himself near Bassano. Good morning to you, Jason. Good morning. Well, let's break this down. You've seen some money from the feds and their agri-recovery program. With an election now happening, though, will that money continue to flow or will you have to wait for more? Well, we we got word yesterday that they had signed on with the, their portion of the agri-recovery. They're 60%. Uh, so when that's added to Alberta's 40%, we should be seeing uh, a total of up to $200 per head. Okay, so, so that's the money that's already been kind of committed to. Uh, is it enough to keep uh, cattle producers going uh, beyond the next few months? Is this something that will last into the new well, year? Well, it, it'll help. Uh, it, you know, it definitely will help. Um, you know, it's just it's going to take some work uh, from our producers to, to come up with some individual plans, how they can keep as many, you know, cows as, as, they, as they possibly can. You know, our, our goal with Alberta Beef, producers is to, you know, work with our governments uh, to try to maintain uh, as many of the mother cows as we can. Is it just the producers who are feeling the pinch right now, Jason, or do others along the supply chain uh, need help as well? Are you seeing people hurt? Well, uh, right now we're just focusing on on, on our producers. Uh, you know, AFSC and the Alberta government's been working with uh, with the their farmers in the province, you know, that produce crops. Uh, to come up with some programs to, uh, you know, to help them, uh, you know, through their their drought positions, which would allow providing some feed for for our uh, our cattle. Well, and I know that uh, you're a, a rancher by trade, also vice chair, obviously, of the Alberta Beef Producers. Not not listed on your resume. You're not an economist, from what I understand. But I'm wondering, yeah. um, or a food economist, if you really want to drill down. I'm guessing that uh, you know we might find those prices at the grocery store a little higher as a result of the situation well yeah i'm i'm not an economist and uh, i you know we're we've seen beef is is uh you know increased over this past year and a half with the pandemic um but, but you know we 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 as the producers you know most of that increase in price does not flow down to the producer that's uh, you know that's more the retail side so we you know, we, we just continue to work with uh, with our governments to, 
to help our producers as much as we can. And let's talk about the role of, um, you know, Alberta beef producers. What sort of support do you give and, and what, why, why is it important to be part of that organization if you're, if you're in the industry? Well, we, you know, through, through the money that we, we have, we continuously fund other projects, uh, research projects. Um, you know, we help with, uh, we, we fund the Canadian cattlemen's our portion uh, to the province uh, so they can work on our behalf federally. Um, you know, AVP is so important to, to work on issues like this. We, you know, we see this drought and this, you know, the devastation that's happening in our province and, and in Western Canada, into Ontario. But, you know, as uh, we're a producer-led organization, all of our, our members, uh, you know, on the board, uh, you know, we're, we're here to work for our producers and to advocate for them with the government and, and provide funding for other programs in the province. Jason, I'm wondering your work with the Alberta beef producers and, and your livelihood as a rancher. Have you seen or ever seen a drought quite like this or something that has had such an effect on the industry? No, I haven't. Uh, I, sh- I sure haven't. And I've you know, talked to some of the older generation in, in my area and around the province. And you know, that's kind of the, the general consensus is that we've never seen it this dry this hot this early in the year you know when it started uh a couple months ago um so yeah i i sure haven't in my in my time uh in the in the business but uh you know talking to the older the older uh, producers they they say the same thing this is uh, unprecedented unprecedented well best of luck to you in the organization thanks for your time this morning jason well thank you Thank you. That is uh, Jason Hale, Vice Chair, Alberta Beef Producers, uh, also ranches himself in the Bas- uh, Bassano area here in the province. More details online at albertabeef.org. High River Mayor Craig Snodgrass and Town Councillor Bruce Masterman submitted a major report last week to the Public Consultation Committee, uh, Committee charged with helping shape a new coal policy for Alberta. Both are very concerned over the impact on downstream watersheds to communities near the eastern slopes. So joining us with more is... Craig Snodgrass, Mayor of High River. Good morning to you, Mr. Mayor. Good morning, Andy. How are you? Good. Thank you for taking the time with us. Well, give us give us a bit of a breakdown of uh, what was in the report, Mr. Mayor. Um, well, it started out um, just with our recommendation, not of a modern coal policy, but of a uh, uh, coal restriction policy for Alberta, uh, specifically along the eastern slopes. So, um we endorsed that, or council unanimously approved that May 10th uh, this year, and then we took that out to all municipalities, 344 municipalities in in Alberta, including First Nations um, bands as well. So we sent it out to everybody and um, just asking for their feedback and support and in, in endorsing this policy. And at the end of the day, we had. 26 municipalities that directly endorsed it um, and then a number of about 35 37 municipalities that um, you know for one reason or another were not prepared to directly endorse the policy but they did send letters to the provincial government um, with their concerns on the impacts of this coal mining so in our mind it was ended up representing all in total about 3.2 million um, Albertans, so um, went a little bit further than I even I even mm. thought, but it does recognize the concern of of all of Alberta, not just southern Alberta, on this issue. 
And I and I think of so many Albertans, you know, if they're if they're dialed in in any way, shape, or form, understand the impact when we talk about water and uh, drinking water and the water that we use on a daily basis. But if you can break down the impact when you really look at it on tourism, hunting, fishing, agriculture could be all negatively impacted. It's kind of a big picture item, isn't it? It's not just the water, but it's the impact of, uh, you know, not having said water the way we'd like to have it. Well, exactly. And, um, you know, water is, is number one priority for, for human beings, period. If if you screw up the, the water, uh, we're all screwed. So, um, you know, this short-term look at, at, you know, whatever the province or the coal companies are saying that there's a benefit to us, which I have yet to find one, um, you know, if the impacts of doing that screw up your water sources, um, it, we're done, right? As, as, a, as a species, we're done. So, you know, everybody talks about selenium, but selenium's only one um, chemical out of about, you know, 30 or 40 that actually um, get released with the coal mining process. But selenium's the big one that everybody's paying attention to. But um, it comes down to, you know, if, if, if this short-term win um, of any kind is the impacts wreck your watersheds, you know, what are we leaving for our children, grandchildren, and the rest of humanity for the rest of eternity as long as we last? But um, we've got to be very careful with, with this one and, you know, knowing full well what the impacts have been in the Elk Valley and stuff in, in every coal mine that's ever existed in B.C. or Alberta, um, the metallurgical stuff specifically, man, oh, man we're going down the wrong path. Well, let's talk about the recommendations put forward uh, that you folks compiled for the Public Consultation Committee. Give us some ideas, because I would think that uh, to a certain extent, it has to be acknowledged that we do need industry. So what are the recommendations? And I don't, I'm not sure if compromise is too much of a, uh, of a term to use in this situation, because you have uh, some very strong thoughts on it. But what, what did you folks put forward? Well, what our policy directly dealt with is three items. So the first one being no further coal exploration or development will be permitted on the eastern slopes of Alberta, period. Um, That means there's no longer the coal categories. There's only the one area that's defined as the eastern slopes. Uh, The second point is that existing coal mining operations up in the Hinton Grand Cache areas will be permitted to retire gracefully because you know, those, the communities around there solely rely on the, uh, on those mines and we're not here to shut down other communities or anything else. There are existing pieces that we've got to deal with and um, retire gracefully, I guess, is the best way to put it. And then the third point is the reclamation of lands disturbed by the coal exploration activities on coal exploration permits issued prior to February 8, 2021 must be reclaimed no later than December 31st, 2025. So that deals with all the the new lands that the province opened up to these coal companies um, in Category 2 in southern Alberta, the, the exploration that they allowed to happen before we um, stepped in and started to rewind this thing. That those exploration areas need to be cleaned up. So... You know, when you talk about 
um, you know, we do need industry and everything mm-hmm. else, but this isn't one of them. This is a very bad one for us. And, um, you know, we talked with the, with the coal policy committee a lot about, you know, if not this, then what do we do? Well, there's a lot of other things that we can do. And if it's specifically looking at, well, we need steel, mm-hmm. um, you know, that's the feedback that, you know, the negative low-hanging fruit of opposition to this is, well, you drive a truck. So what are you going to do, drive a cart now? Well, <laughs> I guess I will if I have to, if that's what it means to exist as a species, then, you know, we're going backwards. But And that's what human beings will end up doing but there's other methods that we can be looking at and that's the hydrogen production of steel making and um from what i learned when we met with the coal policy committee i haven't read much or read anything on it yet but the federal government has committed about 800 million dollars into ontario um steel making companies to move away from metallurgical coal right so you know those are the kinds of things that i think alberta should be paying attention to and and why don't we start to lead some of that as well that you know we can start doing some hydrogen steel making production um trials and research and everything else be a leader on that end don't worry we don't need to rewind to 1932 (laughs) move forward yeah it would would change things up a bit i think from what we're accustomed to for sure but uh I guess we'll have all eyes on November 15th when the Coal Committee provides advice and recommendations to the Minister of Energy. So we'll continue to follow this story. But thanks so much for your time this morning, Mr. Mayor. We appreciate it. No problem at all. Thanks for having me, Andy. Take care. Thanks for being here. That's Mayor of High River, Craig Snodgrass. For amateur and professional astronomers, having a dark sky is job number one when it comes to being able to observe the cosmos in all its glory. But with light pollution, particularly from bigger cities, making it harder and harder to see the stars above, fewer people are able to take in the wonders of the universe. Christy Gustavison is the external relations manager for Waterton National Park and joins us to talk about the latest initiative that has the park internationally recognized as a great place to check out the stars. Good morning to you, Christy. Good morning. Well, let's break this down. The accolades are rolling in. Waterton Lakes National Park, already a UNESCO World Heritage Site. You'll now be recognized internationally for another reason. Tell us about it. Yes, uh, we're excited to say that we are now a gold-tier designated International Dark Sky Association location, along with uh, Glacier National Park in the United States. And uh, what this means is it provides excellent opportunities for visitors to come and view night skies and places that are away from buildings and lights. And uh, it will improve the night sky for wildlife, you know, owls, moths, amphibians, migrating animals. And it's also good for people as well. And it reduces light, light pollution by uh, using lights where they're needed, when they're needed, and at the right uh, color temperature I understand that, you know, you had to roll up your sleeves. Some work had to be done, man, to make some changes on how the lights work in the park. Tell us about that process. Yeah, sure. So um, the new street lights that we've installed are at a custom color temperature of Parks Canada Amber. And think of it as the difference between a bright fluorescent light you might see in an office or in your kitchen compared to a, a lower level light that you might have uh, in your bedroom. So slightly lighter. Uh, they also have a dimmer control so that we can adjust the amount of light needed seasonally. And they're fully shielded. So that means that the light is pointed down rather than up into the night sky. 
I'm wondering, does this attract tourists when they hear that it's an international dark sky park? What are you hearing as far as that being a draw? Um, it certainly does attract people, and certainly here in the park in our longer days in uh, fall and winter, we certainly invite visitors to come and enjoy those uh, dark skies. I'm wondering, you know, obviously you have a, a, a real bias perhaps about the region, uh, but when you have newbies coming and visiting, are you surprised at how they remark on how they can, you know, finally see the stars for perhaps the first time in years? Yeah, it's been a real privilege to be out uh, with some of our night sky viewing opportunities and just see the wonder that people have as they look up and they can see features that you might not see in an urban area. So things like the recent meteor shower we just had or being able to see the full moon tracking across some of our water bodies or even the um, you know some of the planets with the p- more powerful telescopes that we sometimes have out available for people to use. Parabinoculars works just great, though, too, to see some of our stars and planets and constellations. You know, it might be some time since Albertans who like the area, or maybe some first-timers want to come on down. What would you tell them about, you know, what it looks like right now because of, uh, you know, the COVID situation? Are people coming back, or is it back to normal, if you will, Christy? Um, Yeah, I would say that certainly if you want to come during the last few weeks of summer here, please do plan ahead. Make sure you have a place to stay before you come and um, try to visit earlier in the day or later in the evening too, especially if you want to enjoy some of those uh, night skies. And um, we do have fire smoke like the rest of the province from time to time, but we still encourage people to come and get out and uh, enjoy the park. Well, thank you so much for joining us and, uh, you know, your time this morning, Christy. We appreciate it. Thank you very much. Have a great day. You too. That is Christy Gustavison, External Relations Manager for Waterton National Park. You can find out more online at mywaterton.ca. Motivation. What's the word mean to you? Sandra Bucher Davison has a few words on the topic and some examples from her own life, from getting motivated to get into fitness as a teenager, standing in line at a grocery store and seeing the cover of Muscle and Fitness magazine, to finding the motivation to start her own business right here in Calgary over 30 years ago. Joining us this morning on Motivational Monday is Sandra Bucher Davison, personal trainer and owner operator of One on One Personal Fitness. Good morning to you, Sandra. Good morning, Andrew. Well, thank you for, for joining us bright and early. It's funny how when I uh, talk about people who have motivation, I have no trouble booking them at 6.09 on a Monday, so we appreciate <laughs> it. Uh, yeah, uh, you know, let's, let's start with your story, if you don't mind, back in the day, standing yeah. at the grocery checkout. You seriously saw a cover of Muscle and Fitness magazine, and that sparked something in you. So tell, tell us what went, went through your head. Oh, for sure. In fact, who I saw was Kiki Aloma. She was a Finnish bodybuilder back then. And um, back then, the women looked athletic, right? Mm-hmm. And um, back then, if you had, uh, you were skinny and uh, the models were skinny with projecting hip bones. But Kiki was shapely and toned. And it was, what was that look? That caught my eye. It caught your eye, but I'm wondering, you know, you know, as a, y- a young girl looking at this magazine, were there a lot of opportunities? Like, was, was fitness big in your family? Or, you know, where do you turn to at that point? Not in the least. So what I used to do is buy the magazines and just devour them from cover to cover. I wanted to learn how to build muscles. So the funny thing was the jocks in my high school would be working out in the basement gym. And I would go down there and I would 
watch them. And when they left, I would sneak in and try a few things by myself. And my body slowly started to change. <laughs> so, so that was more motivation when you started to see results? Completely. My arms were toned. And if you look at a lot of teenagers, they're very slumped over, poor posture. Well, I straightened up. And I remember coming home one day, Andy, and my sister said, wow, your legs are gorgeous. But what's interesting, also, you ended up getting into fitness competition. So was that was that a goal after looking at that magazine and, and working out, or was that just the next step? That's so funny. I used to think female bodybuilders, like, you know, the, the competitive ones were really gross. Mm-hmm. I had no idea. And then you're I mean, in the world. <laughs> I was never planning to compete. But again, this is like, you know, nearly 40 years ago. So the look was very different. But the more I kept training, the guys at the gym that I was at, they'd say, you really should, you should do this. You, you've got the genetics for this. And that's eventually how I took the plunge. Wow, took the plunge, you got it done. Uh, you know, you turned to fitness again. Uh, you welcomed your first child in the 90s. And, and tell us, was fitness kind of your reset after that? Well, you know what? So I went on from uh, competing as a junior, and I was four years later the national champion at the junior level, Uh trained and became provincial champion, second Western Canada, went on to the senior level. And then after that, I had my first son at 29. Okay. Yeah, which 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 isn't that that old. It's just uh, I'm sure it was something that uh, you know was planned and fit into your schedule. But did, was that a road bump for you as far as your your fitness career? Andrew, I gained sixty pounds. Sixty pounds, okay. Uh, six. <laughs> you know when they said you were eating for two, <laughs> I took it to heart. <laughs> okay, well, but but I mean you're proof positive for anybody out there who has a couple extra pounds, or particularly you know even in in the case of a new mom. That you can turn things around. Well, you can, but please don't do that. I learned that the hard way. I really wanted to have a big belly and the whole pregnancy experience, not realizing uh, when you have a brand new baby, uh, you just don't have that same time and Mm -hmm. schedule for training. So you better come into this smart so it's a little easier on the back end. So I, I had a lot of, it was hard. It was really hard losing that pregnancy weight. Yeah. But you had you had some you know road from from your previous life and your uh, competition. So I'm wondering. Let's talk about the motivation to start your own business. Is that a different type of motivation, as far as you know what you use to get fit and to 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 compete, or is it the same type of uh, uh, you know energy and motivation just rechanneled? <laughs> Andrew, to start a business, you have to be crazy. Okay, no, <laughs> that's the prerequisite. First, no, I'm kidding. Okay, so I was 23 years old um, at the time, still training and competing. I actually graduated in business, and so I actually ran the uh, work for the Terry Fox Run as the fundraising coordinator. But while I was training, people would keep coming up to me at the gym and they would say, how do you make your arms look like that? You know, or how do you have a core like that? Or they kept asking me for tips. So one of my first clients was a chef. He said, I'm tasting all the time and I gained 40 pounds. Can you help me? And that's sort of how I started. I helped Rob. And then he brought me his wife and people kept passing me on to their boss or friends. And I was like, holy, there's a business here. So that's how I began. That's how you began. But of course, there's, 
you know, learning the bit. I mean, obviously you started because it was something you love to do, but then you've got that whole business aspect, like, you know, the bookkeeping, HR, marketing. Was that, was that hard or do you lean on people who know what they're doing? When you first start, you are the cook, the bottle washer, the owner, the receptionist, you're everything. Um, and of course, graduating in business really did help me. Uh, the other thing about me is that I'm very outgoing. I love people and I love showing people how to get the most out of their bodies. And my profession was a perfect match for my personality because I was young, 23, and I was getting 50-year-old people, 60-year-old people trusting this kid. But the more they worked with me and got results, the more they kept recommending me. And so my business grew to eventually five trainers. Okay. So, so but, but, but what, what is it about Calgary and the business environment that's kept you here? love the city. Uh, even when I moved here, I felt that there was opportunity. Calgary has a smart, uh, educated, um, entrepreneurial, uh, work hard, play hard spirit. And the Olympics was here in 88. And that was also the year I became provincial champion. And so uh, it just has an energy that I love. I'm wondering, uh, we, uh, we've got a couple more minutes. Can you hang on for two more minutes and uh, we'll take oh. a quick break? Oh, absolutely. Oh, good. More with uh, Sandra Buchert-Davison. Of course, she's a personal trainer, owner-operator of One-on-One Personal Fitness. On this Motivational Monday, you're going to ask her about how to, how to stay the course. Once you've set that goal and had some success, sometimes you can stray. So we'll break that down with Sandra coming up in one minute. A Motivational Monday. More with our guest, Sandra Buchert-Davison, personal trainer and uh, fitness competitor, owner-operator of One-on-One Personal Fitness. Uh, thanks for, for hanging around with us, Sandra. We appreciate it. Oh, no worries. Well, I want to ask you this because, you know, uh, Motivational Monday, we've been doing this for months now, and, and the goal is to, you know, spark inspiration, help people. We know that a radio segment for a handful of minutes isn't going to change somebody's lives, but to get that spark. So we've, we've talked a lot about getting the initial spark. So I'm wondering, though, in, in your line of work, and I, I think back to even, I'm sure how busy you are on a typical, this past uh, couple of Januaries might not have been so typical, January when people have their New Year's resolution. So when, when people have had that spark to get into the gym, whether or not it's in January or whether or not it's a lifestyle change they've decided to embark on, and they've done it maybe for a couple of months, and then maybe the shine or real life gets in the way, you know, work picks up or they might have, you know, started a new relationship. There might have been a loss of focus. How do you re-motivate people? How do you get them back on track, Sandra? Well, you know, Andrew, this is a great question because I'm reading a fantastic book right now called Atomic Habits. And when it comes to weight loss, um, this is something I learned instinctively competing. You don't focus on I want to be skinny or I want to lose weight. Um, you focus on who you want to be, you know? So when I was competing, I used to have photos on my fridge because I'm a cheesecake fanatic. And so when I was competing, I used to have things on my fridge that, ah, damn, I'd have to turn around and walk away. But in any event, think about who you want to be. So what would a healthy person do? Um, would they start the day with uh, donuts or would they start the day with uh, some oatmeal and, and some eggs? What, 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 what choices would a healthy person make? Would they have that pizza at lunch or that roast chicken sandwich? When you're making choices, whether it's to take the stairs or to drive your car or what you're going to eat, maybe think about the choices a healthy person would make. 
and use that as a means of uh, finding your North Star or guiding yourself towards who you want to be. Does that sort of make a bit of sense? Yeah, it sounds like you're, you're kind of A, reframing it, and B, looking big picture instead of just like, you know, like I can see what you're saying in the sense that some people might be on a, a half decent program, blow it, and then decide to stay on that train because they've blown their their they think that they've blown all their progress. Right, exactly. And and the thing is, the habits you have in place may be getting in the way of the healthy person you want to be. So if you're exercising but you're on the couch every night with a bowl of chips and a can of coke, you're you're sort of you're thwarting that process. You're not focusing on who you want to be. So, yes, that would be my suggestion. Don't focus on weight loss or being skinny. Focus on who you want to become. And for me, it was photos and images. And, and, and I definitely do believe in those boards where vision boards where people think about what their goals are, who they want to be, and how they think about this process. We've got about 20 seconds, but I'm going to give you a chance to plug this, Sandra, something I've seen a lot on your uh, website and some of your social media. Age is, is just a number, and if you think, oh, you know, I'm over the age of 50 or over the age of 60, I shouldn't start. Oh, geez, definitely uh, not the way to think. There are people still getting results in their 90s, uh, 100 years old. You're, you are exactly right. You are only as old as you let yourself feel and think. Shed that and focus on who you want to be. Okay. What are those goals that you have for yourself? Dust yourself off, get up and go for them. I appreciate that because particularly on a Monday morning at 623, some people might feel a little older. Uh, but nevertheless, don't <laughs> let that get in the way. Uh, thank you so much for your time on Motivational Monday, uh, Monday Sandra. Thanks, Andrew. That is Good Sandra. morning. Bye-bye. You have a great day. That's Sandra Bucher davison personal trainer, owner-operator of One-on-One Personal Fitness, uh, oneononefitness.ca. Thanks for downloading and listening to the podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review for free at Apple Podcast, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcasts. And tune in to Mornings with Sue and Andy from 530 to 9 every weekday morning on 770 CHQR.